<laughs> Good morning. I'm so thankful to get to be here to share the message for Thanksgiving week, because Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And uh, it's interesting because I think it was last year, the year before, that James Racine brought up a, a marital conflict, which is, can you decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving? And uh, the answer is no. And, um, but, because, uh, but Joe's favorite holiday is Christmas. And so every year we have this conflict. But I've pretty much, not always, but I'd say 99% of the time I have won. But this is what I caught him doing this year. Yeah, you can see him. He's over there running, you know. He's like sneaking around. He's been sneaking around putting up lights. And this is only like a third of his lights. He just goes nuts with lights. And he, he had me program, you know, Alexa. And so he told me on Thanksgiving night, we're going to say, Alexa, Christmas, and they will all come on. <laughs> But my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. I just love Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving in San Diego. It's going to be 83. So we can have it outside. Isn't that amazing? I love the food. I love the baking. I love everything about it. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you what I'm calling the generous grace of gratitude. And I say that because gratitude is a grace. And I hope this morning you'll see why. You know, scientists begin to study gratitude because they notice that people who were grateful just seem to get along better in the world. And uh, because they can now do brain imaging studies, they studied the brains of grateful people. And what they discovered is that, the, that when you're grateful, your brain releases dopamine and serotonin. And those are the feel-good chemicals. And so gratitude makes you feel good. It has so many benefits. There's, the, the list is long, but let me just go through a few of them. It reduces anxiety and depression. It relieves stress. It improves sleep. Who knew? It increases productivity. It fosters better relationships. It increases contentment. And it enhances resilience. And it actually does a lot more than that, but that was all I had room on the slide for. <laughs> so this morning, I want to take us to the first Thanksgiving, but not the one with the pilgrims and the Native Americans and the harvest. It's the first Thanksgiving in Scripture. In fact, it's the first time Thanksgiving is mentioned in Scripture, and it's in our favorite book. All of us love this book, the book of Leviticus. <laughs> Who would have thought I would share from Leviticus on Thanksgiving? You have to think about the history real quick. The Israelites had been slaves for 400 years, very brutal life, and uh, God had raised up a Savior. Moses went in, and you know, after all the plagues, they left, and they're, they're getting, they go through the Red Sea, and then God stops them at the foot of Mount Sinai because he wants to give them some instructions on how to live, not just when they get into the promised land, but as they were going. And he tells them how to build this, you know, a portable temple of tabernacle so that they could have offerings and sacrifices there. And then he unloads what the sacrifices all are. 
and what the offerings are. So this is one of the sacrifices, and uh, let's read it in Leviticus chapter 7, starting with verse 11. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. And he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. And there's also an animal sacrifice, but I don't have time to talk about that this morning, so I'm stopping there. And I want to tell you three things about this offering. The first is that it was completely voluntary. In fact, it was the only sacrifice that was totally voluntary. And so uh, the people were able, were given this. This is one reason I call it a grace. It's not today's idea of payback where, you know, you, you do something wrong to somebody and you got to go give them a peace offering to pay back. It had nothing to do with that. And so we have to ask why. Why did God provide this? And I think it's because he knew that their life in the, in the wilderness and in the promised land was going to be very difficult. And he wanted them to have a way to develop the kind of peace they were going to need. Because gratitude is a conduit for peace. And that's the peace offering was for thanksgiving because gratitude is a conduit for peace. Now, science has affirmed this, but God knew it all along because he created these brains, right? And he knew those hormones would be released through gratitude. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it was participatory. This was the only offering sacrifice they were actually able to eat some of themselves. They gave some to the Lord, some to the priest, and they got to eat the rest. And what they actually did was they didn't just bring enough for the offering. They brought enough for the whole day. That God told them you have to eat it all that day, and he made it a big celebration. So they would bring tons of loaves of bread and tons of animals. They would provide a day-long party for their friends and their neighbors, and even feed the poor with it. And so it was a participatory, and I would say that God's reasoning in this was, has also been discovered by science, which science has proven that if you just say grateful words, you don't get the benefit of those hormones being released. You actually have to experience something within that makes you say those grateful words. And so I think God knew he couldn't just have them come, throw an offering, say thank you, go on their way. They wouldn't get the grace of, of gratitude. And so he wanted to make it a big party, and that's what they did. And then thirdly, it was the only offering that include, included leavened and unleavened bread. All of the other offerings and sacrifices in, had to be done with unleavened bread because leaven symbolized sin. And so they, they had to bring unleavened bread to say they were giving up their sin. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about the significance of this, but um, I want to just tell a quick story from why, one reason I'm more thankful this year than I think I've ever been, because a year ago, 
right before Thanksgiving, a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, I suffered from a herniated disc. And I was in horrible pain. I've never experienced anything like it. And, uh, but we had always given gifts, uh, baked goods to our neighbors on Thanksgiving just to kind of reach out to them. And because of COVID, we hadn't been able to do it for a couple of years. And we had three new neighbors move in. So I said, I'm going to do it. If it kills me, I'm going to make some bread. And we're going to. So we made, uh, I made, not we, I made some cranberry loaves. <laughs> Joe's a great chef, but he doesn't bake. Uh, <laughs> he cooks everything else. But anyway, I made them. And uh, when I took them out of the oven, they looked like unleavened bread. Uh, which means they were about this tall. So I called Joe in. I said, Joe, I don't know if I can give these to the neighbors. Can you taste them and tell me? So he cut a piece and he ate it. He said, no, that's great. They're good. So I'm like, okay. And so we wrapped them up nicely, and he went out and gave them to all the neighbors. And a couple weeks later, I decided, I had some in the freezer. I decided to have a piece. Cardboard. Cardboard. And I called him in. I said, Joe. I just tasted this. It tastes like cardboard. Why didn't you tell me? And he gets this really sheepish look on his face. He said, I just didn't have the heart to tell you because you were in so much pain. I just didn't have. And I said, now our neighbors think I'm a horrible cook, and I gave them cardboard for Thanksgiving. So <laughs> that actually has nothing to do with the story except that it looked like unleavened bread, but I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, the reality was this, these two loaves were held up by the priests, the unleavened and the leavened. And all of the offerings and sacrifices foreshadowed what Jesus would do on the cross. And so here in this offering, he brings both of them together. And it's a picture of what Jesus would do because Jesus turned the idea of sin and leaven on its head when he told the parable that said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And so this was a picture of rather than us living full of the leaven of sin, Jesus would go to the cross and die for our sins, and then we would be full of the kingdom of God. And this is a picture of that. So that's just a few important things about that offering. So it kind of, I want to ask then, okay, how do we bring all that into our lives and how can it make a difference in where we're at today? And I'm going to just give you a three-part practice based on this offering. And the first part in the practice is remember. Remember. You know, the Bible has over 550 times it says remember or some variant of that. God really wants us to remember and so for me, uh, what I ha remember most is I stopped to think about who I was and where I came from. That's what God wanted the Israelites to do, so that they would embrace the life they had in the wilderness and in the promised land. Remember where you came from. And uh, so we're going to look at Ephesians. I just want, I think uh, Paul does such a great job of showing the before and after but I want to just say, remember in the scriptures has a very different meaning. It doesn't just mean bring to mind. It, the closest word we have to it is empathy. And it really means to actually experience what had been as if it were now. Okay, so when we say remember, think about this as we read Ephesians chapter 2. 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. We were following Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were worthy of only the wrath of God. That's who we were. And then he goes on in verse 11. If you're not Jewish, this, this is for us. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You ever just stop and think of what it would be like to not have God in your world? To have no hope? Calls us to remember. Now, I want to say I love the focus on our identity I believe in it. I'm, we're in School of Leadership. We're teaching people to find out their unique identity and their life mission. But if we don't spend time remembering who we were, we'll never be grateful for what God has done. And so we have to remember. So that's part one. And then the second thing we do is we reflect. We reflect on who God is and what he has done. So there in Ephesians 2 Here's Paul reflecting, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. You could spend many days reflecting on each phrase in there and be overcome with gratitude. But he goes on in verse 13 and he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is. He is our peace. You know, Jesus knew peace was such an important commodity. And today in our world where anxiety disorders are at an all-time high, Jesus says to us, I am your peace. He told his disciples in his final conversation, he said, "Let my, my peace I give to you, I leave with you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. And then he ends the conversation by saying, I, I, I'm telling you these things so that in me, you will have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. He is our peace. And we've got to take the time to reflect on the God of what he's done for us. And then finally, the third part is we respond. And this is where the gratitude comes in. Uh, Hebrews 13 tells us, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge, which actually that word means give thanks to his name. 
Sometimes gratitude feels like a sacrifice, right? Because our life is not always easy. In fact, let me just say it's going to be hard most of the time. <laughs> we have it in our mind that there's going to be few hard times and then the rest of the time it's going to be great. It Actually, I'm, I'm 71, and I'm just telling you that's not the way it is. It's hard most of the time. But we have this amazing grace that in all circumstances, when Paul says in all circumstances, we can give thanks because it may feel like a sacrifice, but it's not. It's a grace because gratitude is the conduit. And he gives it to us as a gift. I'm going to show you two ways that Paul puts peace and thankfulness together. Philippians 4 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let your requests be made known with thanksgiving. And then he says, The peace of God will be like a military guard over your heart and keep out all hostile invasion. Gratitude is the conduit for peace. And then in Colossians 3.15, he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And that word rule is like the word for umpire. So God's peace wants to be in your heart like an umpire saying, Yes, that's right. No, that's out. And telling you what is real and what is not real, and it comes through gratitude. So what is it that hinders us from living this out? Why don't we? I, I don't know about you, but I just don't feel grateful as much as I wish I did. So what hinders us? And I'm just going to share two things. The first thing I think that hinders us is we don't quite believe what God has said and what God has done. We just don't quite believe it. We have a mental ascent, especially if you were raised in the church. Jesus died for me. Jesus loves me. This I know. But we don't have a heart investment in the truth of that. And the reason I say this is because I every single day meet people who I can tell are trying to earn what God already gave them. And they're trying to get it right, trying to be good enough, trying to fix things up. Or they're trying to pay God back for what he's done. Did you know you can't pay God back? I hope you hear that this morning. You can't pay God back. He's the initiator. He's always the giver. And you will never be able to pay him back. And he doesn't even want us to be motivated to pay him back. If you are trying to pay God back or you're trying to earn it, you won't be grateful. It just, it's just the way it is. And um, I was thinking about that. Turn, turn, as I'm going to tell you a little story, but turn to Psalm 116. I'm going to prove what I just said from Scripture because I could tell some of you are like, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, turn to Psalm 116. This uh, psalm is called the Hallel Psalm. And it was uh, a psalm, there were, there were four, five psalms that the Israelites sang on the way to Passover. And um, so this was the song that Jesus sang when it says at the Last Supper, they sang a hymn and went out. 
This is it. So he start, the, the psalmist starts, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. And then he gives this long litany of benefits. And then he gets to verses 12, and he says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? So there's the question. What should I give God? What should I do for God? Because he's done so much for me. Here's the answer. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will lift up the cup of salvation. And then in 17, he says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. The way you show gratitude to the Lord is you bring your cup and you say more. I have to have more. I was thinking about this when our, our oldest son was a teenager and decided he didn't want to come to church anymore. And I went through these various uh, renditions depending on my, as I grew in the Lord, but I used to say things like, this is what we do. We're a Christian family. This is what we do. That didn't really mean anything to him as a teenager. Um, and then I kind of played the guilt card. Jesus died for you. The least you could do is show up on a Sunday morning. <laughs> that didn't do anything. And then one day I was just in my time with the Lord, and he revealed something to me. So I looked for the right moment, and I sat my son down, and I said, you know, I know that you haven't seen Jesus in the way that I know you. But when you do, I won't ever have to tell you to go to church because you'll bring your cup and say more, more. And uh, that did happen. <laughs> that did happen. So we come, and, but this, this hinders us. This will keep us from really experiencing all that God has for us. So that's the first thing. The second thing that hinders us is we don't give God the space in the moment we're in. See, when things are painful, when things are tough, we don't want to sit with gratitude. We want to get out of the situation. Or we want to solve the problem. But let me tell you something. God is about the process more than the product. Always. What he's doing inside of you is so important. In fact, it's the most important thing to him. He, we quote all the time, Romans 8, 28, God, for God works together for good to all those who love him. Call. But what does the next verse say the good is? To conform you to his image. That's the best good he can ever give you because the more you're like Jesus, the more of Jesus you can enjoy because Jesus has infinite capacity to enjoy himself. And so you, he is making you like Jesus, and we have to sit in this place. And I want to say something because I've heard this so much, and I get it. I've been through wilderness. I've been through deserts. I've been through dark nights. But there seems to be this common theme of people saying, you know, God's just not showing up. And I get it emotionally, but I want to say he did show up. He showed up on the cross of Calvary, and he stretched out his arms, and he died for you. And sometimes he's just calling you to sit in the pain with him. Because in sitting in the pain, you will become more like him. And as you become more like him, you will get more of him. And there's nothing better he can give you than that. I... um. 
and look, look, let me just finish with Psalm 116 because we have to look at this down, uh, I'm not sure what verse it is, three. <laughs> no, it's the next, the snares of, yes, the snares of death encompass me. Just think about Jesus. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. And then this is my life verse. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. And so we come and we just say, I'm in the pain and I just need more of you, Lord. And we receive in that moment the rest of God. Uh, I told you uh, my, this her herniated disc a year ago. I was in such pain that I couldn't sit for several weeks. And I couldn't really, uh, if I could lay in one position, but if I happened to move, I, I could just really m increase the pain. And so uh, they would gave me a lot of medication, and I would take it all at night when I went to bed. And, um, and then about 3 o'clock, I would wake up, and it wouldn't be working anymore. And so for weeks, I got up about 3 or 3.30. And I was in, I, I never knew pain like this. It was so bad that I literally would be sobbing out loud. And I was just memorizing scripture, and I would just walk my house sobbing, saying these scriptures, saying what God had done, giving him thanks. Sometimes I walked my neighborhood, and I would just pray for the neighbors. And, you know, it wasn't this wonderful, oh, God was just so present. But he was doing an amazing work in me. And he was there. He did show up in the midst of the pain. And so that was, I was engaging in that process of remembering, reflecting, and responding. And so that's what we're going to do to end our time this morning. And I couldn't think of a better way to do that than to have communion. And uh, so you have your cup. We're going to do it a little different this morning. We're going to worship. Uh, Stephen's just going to play. And here's what I want you to do. You're going to do it in your own time, in your own way. But I just want you to sit where you are right now, and I want you to remember, maybe you're struggling with financial things, maybe you don't have a job, maybe you have children that are, that are um, suffering, maybe there's just so many things. I want you to sit with that and remember what God has done. Just remember for a minute. And then reflect, I mean, re remember where you used to be, then reflect on what God has done. And then respond with gratitude. And as you take the cup and take the bread, I want you to envision yourself saying, more, Lord, more, Lord. Because it's kind of like when you go to the opera or you go to the symphony, how do you honor them? You say, encore, encore, right? And we're coming to God and we're saying, encore, encore. What you did on Calvary was beautiful and I need more. I need more today. Just to get through the day. And then you make this your practice. So let's just do this as Stephen plays.
all these uh, sacrifices and offerings that God uh, instructed them to do, including the peace offering, he had them blow a trumpet, and then the priest would speak these words over the people. And so this morning, we're going to sing those over you, and as we're doing that, uh, you you can stand together, prayer team, if you'd come on forward. I just, uh, maybe there's some of you that you've been, you, you thought you had to earn your way. You've never really just received the grace of God for salvation. And you can come forward and we'll pray with you. Maybe you just need somebody to sit with you in the pain and be grateful with you for what God has done. And we're just going to sing this over you as we do that. Oh, you are more of you, God. We want more, we want more. Sing the Lord bless you. We say the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face towards you and give you peace. Will you agree? We sing We're so grateful for your blessings, Lord. We're so grateful for all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we love you. And all God's people said,
Amen. Well, hey, guys, thank you so much for coming out this Sunday. Grab those cards on your seats and have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you guys here next week. Take care.